Hey there film fans and welcome to another episode of The Real Take. This week is the first in our Real Take Spotlight series where we focus on just one movie. So we're going to be taking a closer look at a movie that is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. It's the third feature length movie from film director Gus Van Sant starring River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves in roles that would have been viewed as extremely risky at the time for these stars whose careers were on the rise. It's a movie that is considered a landmark of new career cinema, which began in the early 90s, and since its release, it is deemed a cult classic, and rightly so. So sit back, relax, but try not to nod off as we take you through my own private Idaho. Let's roll titles! Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast. It's the real take breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Da 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 da, talking movies. Always know where I am by the way the road looks. Look, I just know that I've been here before. I just know that I've been stuck here. Mike? I'm extremely excited. Don't worry. Everything's gonna be alright. You men make yourselves comfortable. I'll be right back. She's cool, because it takes her a little while to get warmed up. It's normal, nothing kinky. <laughs> Where is my son, Scott? We don't know, sir. Hey, Mike, how long have I been here on the streets, on this crusade? It's been three years, Mike. Yeah, almost four years. That's a long time. And then I have to think of you and what a degenerate you are. Don't think that, Father. It is the real take the podcast by film fans for film fans and Nyla Ross are here. How are you doing, guys? Very well. Yeah, I'm very excited about this idea of focusing on one film. Yes. So had you guys seen it before this kind of special viewing or kind of were you introduced to it before this or is this like your your first time going into it? I had never seen it before and I was quite excited to watch it as well because um, I'd only seen a handful of Gus Van Sant movies and um, I was looking forward to seeing a bit more of River Phoenix as well because of course he had such a short career but such an acclaimed career and um, so yeah I was really excited to go into it and um, seeing Keanu Reeves in a role like this as well was um, a, a big plus for me and interestingly enough we, we do a regular feature on our on our podcast 1000 movies to watch before you die and this was actually one of the ones I had earmarked from the book 1001 movies to watch before you die so um, it was one I definitely had to take off the list yeah it's definitely up there what about you Niall had you seen it before this I had seen it before but a long time ago and not really seen it uh, since really and I, I think it's more like when I re-watch movies it's not that I I make a conscious decision to go I'm going to put this on tonight it's that they're on TV and I come across them and go yeah. oh yeah no I remember this and this is something again you don't see on TV so I was really happy to have the opportunity to watch it again 
and and enjoyed again yeah i i was like yourself i hadn't seen it in ages watched it ages and ages ago i don't know actually what brought me onto it probably my obsession with keanu reeves but <laughs> but uh, it was great to, to to get stuck into it again and you know i was reminded by kind of how unusual and what would you call it's kind of a bit of a trippy movie that's trying to do a lot of different things which we we get we'll get stuck into when we we thought talk about the themes and stuff that that pop up here but just to kind of before we get stuck into the movie to give a little bit of background to, to Gus Van Sant so it's unusual in that he's both considered an indie and a mainstream director so he would have been coming up around the same time or maybe slightly after Jim Jarmusch who we spoke about in the last season and he has a really interesting mix of a career and he's a director that's not afraid to take risks so you have everything in his work um you know from drug addicts to male hustlers to a weather girl with murder on her mind to a fictionalized account of of Kurt Cobain's last days you know the subject matter of, of his movies I think are really interesting and he has this kind of preoccupation with people that are sort of living on the on the fringes of of society um but he went to LA uh, in 1976 and he got a job as a production assistant to filmmaker Ken Chaparro and around this time he spent time kind of observing the down and out kind of of, of Hollywood Boulevard because he is fascinated that I suppose these two worlds can exist side by side you know you have the glamour and prosperity and all of that of of Hollywood and then you have kind of a seedy underbelly really of Hollywood as well so he was really interested in in, in those kind of people and he started off his his career with uh, Malanoche um, so this tells the story of a gay store clerk and his relationship with two young Mexican boys so straight out of the bat he's taken a risk in his career this is 1980 uh, 1980s um and it's shot in black and white and that film earned him pretty much overnight acclaim on the on the festival circuit um then you know he he followed this up with drugstore cowboy um which again you know you're, you're dealing with uh drug addicts who basically hold up pharmacists to try and kind of you know feed their habit kind of thing and then this is only his third movie my own private idaho um and the studio which was universal at the time um because after kind of the success of the first two universal kind of courted him a little bit and uh, he came up with ideas you know uh, my own private idaho being one and they decided not to take interest in that so he goes back home to portland oregon and starts working on these ideas um so you have uh, my own private Idaho com- coming out of that. It, it that that came out in nineteen ninety one, and then after that, you know, we have kind of a varied mix. You know, we have black comedy to die for, which we definitely should dig out again because that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's enough podcasts discussing the drama Goodwill Hunting and and Milk uh, as well. People will know him for that. But then later work, which I haven't seen any of these, but uh, there's Finding Forrester, Paranoid Park, Last Days, which I mentioned there, which is about uh, Kirk Cobain the reimagining of his last days and what they would have, have been like. Have you not seen that? I no, thought, I haven't. Oh, okay. no, no. I think it's very much, it's very much, well, well it, you know, it's legally speaking, it's not Kirk Cobain. Mm. <laughs> no, okay, okay. <laughs> What's the other movie though that um, Francis Bean Cobain, uh, Cobain um, produced? Uh, something of heck, Montage of Heck. I saw that one about. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was really kind of, it's difficult viewing, and but it's interesting and it's kind of interesting that they're attached to it. But anyway, um, so he kind of, 
fluctuates in his career from kind of being this indie darling to then moving into the more mainstream stuff with the likes of, you know, say Goodwill Hunting and, and, and Milk. And then kind of, you know, he's getting mixed reviews then for his his later work. I know um, he, he didn't, the critics weren't too kind for his 1998 remake of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And also, uh, that was in 1998. Uh, including us. I yeah, think. including <laughs> us, yeah. And uh, the, the Sea of Trees back in 2015, where Chris yeah, got I mean, commercial I, I, failures. Like, yeah. and, they were, and they have big name stars in them. Mm. And they kind of, I, think, I don't know if they even made it to cinemas here, these movies. And you would think that, like, he is such a name director, but it's like... I, I don't know I've not seen these movies so I'm not yeah. going to kind of say if there's if there's something you know if, if they're not good or not but uh, yeah it's it's weird it's, it's like uh, yeah after Milk it kind of the the IMDB kind of thing goes goes like fizzles that, yeah. he's still he's still working but mm. it fizzles away and he's working on a, a thing with Gucci at the moment isn't he he's doing a yeah a kind of a I don't know if it's a it's a documentary or something about about uh, fashion, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's, in, it's interesting kind of where it's he's an eclectic going. an eclectic <laughs> CV. It really is, it really is an eclectic CV. But I think the early work and up until kind of maybe um you know the the uh, milk, milk you know probably mm. is is kind of the the best of the of the repertoire uh, so to speak. But it's the one that we're going to talk about is this third movie of his which is 30 years old this year and it is my own private idaho and as i mentioned there in the introduction considered really a landmark film in new queer cinema which was kind of this early 90s movement in queer themed independent filmmaking and it's was really important at the time because considering everything that was going on in particularly in america and you know the whole aids epidemic and everything that was so kind of to the surface at the time so to to have a movie about male hustlers and to have your movie with two young um hollywood stars that were really making a name yeah, yeah. yeah. massive risk you know absolutely i mean um so yeah so i mean my own private idaho as you say came out in 1991 and it is not to get too much into the into the plot because we'll talk about it later but it is a kind of a people always talk about it like a loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth, and it follows Mike Waters played by River Phoenix and he's a gay hustler uh, who also is an archaleptic um, and Scott <laughs> Favor who's played by Keanu Reeves friend of the podcast and <laughs> he is uh, he is the rebellious son of a mayor and really it is the Keanu Reeves character I think who is kind of most um, uh, indicative or most reflective I guess you would say from the, the Shakespeare uh, source material if you like and the two together they, they travel it is a road movie but I would argue it's a road movie where nobody gets anywhere yeah <laughs> they all remain in their own heads the whole time. But um because I am the Shakespearean scholar on the of podcast, course. yeah. You have you have asked me to speak particularly about the idea that it's based on Henry the Fourth. Um or Henry the Fourth Part One really, which is a history play by William Shakespeare. Um it would have been people think it was written around fifty the fifteen nineties. It is the second play in what is Shakespeare's Tetralogy, which means there are four plays dealing with the reigns of Richard II, Henry IV, two plays, and then Henry V. Henry IV, part one, which is the most, the one that 
I guess is most um, uh, influential on on this film uh, depicts a span of history that uh, deals with. I'm not going to kind of bore you with the idea of English history, but it's about um, Henry the Fourth and his attempts to quell rebels, Welsh rebels particularly, uh, who are trying to over overthrow his his right to the throne if you like but what this film takes from that play and what most people will know about that play is the relationship between prince hal uh, who was he would be henry the fourth's son and then would go on to be henry the fifth when he accedes to the throne and his relationship with a knight called john falstaff um so basically um henry or hal i should say is a wayward youth who enjoys the society of petty criminals he's kind of he's he's left life at court he's going he's hanging around in in pubs he's met up with these guys that are kind of leading him astray and and he's quite happy to do that because he's decided he's going to sow his wild oats basically um and there is you, you can tell already from what I'm talking about if you've seen this film which character I'm speaking yeah. of and what what that uh, you know the the ramifications I guess that there are there um and you know there's a lot of uh, academic discussion about whether or not in Shakespeare's version whether or not uh Hal's kind of youthful behavior because he kind of he, he speaks to the audience as people do in Shakespearean plays and says I'm just doing this just to enjoy myself and then I'm going to be serious then when you know when I, when the time comes to be a serious man I'll be a serious man but right now I'm just going to be drinking and doing all this stuff now in this film we can argue about whether or not that if there is any ambiguity in that or not but uh, yeah so that that I guess is um, I think this film, um, Van Sant has kind of said that uh, he based it on two different movies. So he based it on the story of, of Mikey and he based it on the story, this modern retelling of uh, of uh, Henry the, the, the Fourth. And, and then it was like he got the, and he, he kind of put them together. And we can argue about whether or not they work or not. But... Um, yeah, so that that's that's basically the influence. So when people talk about this is a modern retelling of Henry the Fourth, it kind of is, it kind of isn't, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very clear, like to me, that I think when he was writing it, he he was writing three kind of separate scripts. Um, one was focusing on 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 River Venus's story. The other was focusing on Keanu Reeves' story. I think the other one was meant to be set in L.A. with two people were kind of going on a road trip looking for something, and he kind of just. He, he couldn't find a way to finish the three scripts and he decided to just put them all together and <laughs> they worked right. really well uh, apparently when when he uh, apparently the studios as well they were uh, they were not keen at all the American studio was not keen on the Shakespeare stuff they were trying to eliminate that as much as they could whereas foreign distributors really really liked the the Shakespearean stuff so they wanted more of it so they tried to find it uh, uh, and uh, like a, a nice middle ground there to appease both of them. Uh, a lot of the, sh you know, a lot of shots that were in the movie, the more kind of surrealist uh, shots that show them in a kind of a dream state. Apparently, that helped the flow of what might have otherwise been quite a jarring movie, uh, going between kind of normal or natural dialogue and Shakespearean dialogue. But adding that kind of surrealist element makes the movie flow much 
better, which I can totally see. Um, I, I read that afterwards, and it makes a lot of sense. Oh no, I think it does. I I I think it works well. I could see though, you know, maybe for the the time where people might have been scratching their heads, going, "What is this? What are we actually watching? Is it is it a play? Is it a movie? Is it a documentary? What's going on here?" But you know, like all independent filmmakers, he was very experimental, and he had sort of an idea of what he wanted to do and you know he obviously would try, try to kind of get all these elements to work i do i do think that um okay it's it's a little maybe clunky in places but you know for somebody whose third movie this is yeah i think it works i think it works i, I like it you know well, let's not let's not uh get to the end before we we because what what was it uh what was it received like cross yeah that, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, probably to no surprise, um, it, it's the kind of movie, um, as you'd expect, that got a lot of acclaim from critics, but didn't have a huge amount of commercial success. Um, it started its life, um, you know, on the kind of on the on the film festival circuit. It premiered at the Forty Eight Venice Film Festival in September nineteen one. Went on to play another uh, number of other. Uh, film festivals including the Toronto International and the New York Film Festival and so forth critics were were, were really singing its praises uh, and they were really positive of course about both Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix in the in the kind of lead roles and I think it's fair to say that both of these actors really had a, a massive and critical role in getting this movie made and financed I'm not sure how uh, you know a script like this that is quite unusual would get the backing without stars like Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix signed on and apparently it was Keanu Reeves who was the first one who read the script and got and persuaded River Phoenix to get involved in it as well and as we we're saying it was a real risk uh, I think especially for Keanu as well um, at the time because um, although he was still quite young at that stage uh, he'd been in quite a number of films uh, and he was probably still best remembered at that time for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure you know so he's still known in that kind of regard he was filming uh, another kind of Keanu Reeves classic around the same time uh, another movie that would help him perhaps be seen in a more grown-up light uh, for different reasons that was Point Break but <laughs> I'm sorry have you just said that Point Break puts him in a more grown-up light than well, my yeah, own like, private Idaho no 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 in a different no 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 I'm saying it's it's helping you said, audience you said a grown-up light though yeah more mature light uh, definitely like it, it we, we before that we saw him in the likes of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Parenthood and stuff like that I know he was in other movies like Dangerous Liaisons but as a as a leading role him playing an action movie star like if he, would he have been in Speed say if he wasn't in Point Break mm. I'm not comparing the two movies I'm just saying it's interesting that he I would just, star I, I find your your choice of grown up <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a thing to be yeah interesting Listen, I went surfing recently yeah. Very <laughs> um, I think it was maybe I'm not sure if it, like River Phoenix he always I think would have gravitated towards more um, you know more experimental or more edgy films anyway um, whereas I would have seen Keanu Reeves as maybe a more straight film star maybe um, but like, I, t I totally agree like put it this way you know if you like if you didn't know that Keanu Reeves is in my own private Idaho and you'd watched Speed and you'd watched Point Break and you'd watched Bill and Ted you would kind of go what the hell this is a completely kind of left a field at the time for him and yes. the fact that like I found it you know so surprising as well in a way that like he as you mentioned Ross was the guy that was like listen you know I gotta sign on here I think River Phoenix is going to be great for it. it's going to he saw something mm. in the movie mm. which you know is surprising you know 
and it, he was dead right when it came to River Phoenix because I have not seen River Phoenix in that many movies. Like, obviously, I'd seen him when he was a kid and like the likes of Stand By Me and I'd seen him as, say, young Indiana Jones, but I hadn't really seen him in a in a kind of proper grown-up meaty role and and he was really the main focus of praise um, from critics in this movie and rightly so because uh, you must remember, like, he, he was only about 20 years old, 21 years old when he was filming this movie um so but and by that stage he'd already received an oscar nomination for best supporting actor um that was in 1988 um for uh, for running on empty and he was just 18 years old at that time and have but, you seen running on empty no i haven't seen it no but i, yeah, I, I haven't either this is, uh, this is where i'm kind of like he he was picking these parts all like kind of early on and uh, you know it it was kind of his his bag i guess like the the mm. outliers are indiana jones young, young indiana jones and stuff like that um and it is uh, as you say the interesting thing is that keanu <coughs> reeves was the one who brought this to him and said we can do this together but it's obviously yeah. something that keanu reeves was kind of wanted to break out of and they they, they tell the story that gus van sant i think had they gave them he gave them a, a book to read and Keanu read yes. not only that book but seven other books by the guy, and um, and River Phoenix read the first chapter or first paragraph and said, "Yeah, I don't need to read this." <laughs> yeah, so uh, obviously the two main stars got a, a load of uh, load of positive reviews, which is which is uh, which we'll be getting into in in a little while. Their their particular performances. Uh, there was like other elements of the movie that were praised. Like some people liked how they avoided some pretty typical or standard hollywood fare like the the need to tie everything everything up in a neat bow and um you know the surrealist elements were really praised as well um i said it wasn't really a commercial hit it wasn't really it made 6.4 million uh, domestically from a budget of 2.5 million but in that regard although it did have the backing of a major studio it only got a limited release and i think gus van sant later said if i'd known it would have got such a, a limited theater release i would have just released it independently um, but I think the, the star power of Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix getting involved, they, you know, it would have been hard for the movie to even get that return without them, their involvement. And um, yeah, no, it was a fantastic movie. The way it was kind of marketed as well, because we mentioned how it was kind of um, seen as a uh, really important moment in a new queer cinema. And Gus Van Sant was a real proponent of that as well. But just interesting at the time it was released because it was the early 90s. And you have to remember the early 90s. It's hard for maybe young listeners to hear now. But like it was still illegal to be gay yeah. in Ireland yeah. for another two years. So it's a very different um, it's a very different climate you're com- you're releasing that movie into. Um, so like when they're releasing the movie, they obviously have two um, young kind of pretty guys who they're marketing and they want to get as many people watching that so i think a lot of the um advertisements at the time when they were portraying it um they kind of glossed over the gay teams in the movie and they kind of packaged it as a straight movie which is an interesting take because it's completely opposite what the movie's about it's like when you go to see well it's more sinister but it's like when you go to see a a movie that's marketed as a comedy but it's actually a drama except obviously there's a sinister undertone of them trying to kind of whitewash maybe the uh you know the gay themes in the movie to to get a larger return maybe that just is a bit more of a reflection of what society was like uh, in the early 90s 
Definitely, because when you watch that trailer, you know, and you don't know really what it's going to be about, mm. you totally get that. You, you really do. So getting into the, to the crux of it, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's about two very different male hustlers who cross paths on, in, in, in Portland, Oregon's Skid Row. They become close friends and, and kind of separate. So it's Mike Waters played by River Phoenix. He's a very good looking guy. Um, he is the product of a dramatically dysfunctional family. Um, so his career opportunities are completely affected by his narcolepsy, which, you know, crop up for him at the most inconvenient times like it's whenever he's under severe stress yeah. he'll fall asleep um uh, and and very suddenly and very deeply uh, and often when he's faced with a situation in which in which he can't cope on the other hand you have scott favor played by keanu reeves couldn't be more different he has the manners and self-assurance and kind of handsomeness to be kind of a preppy if he wanted to be but uh he's uh, kind of this guy who operates according to a carefully planned agenda he comes from a rich family and he stands to inherit a, a, a fortune his father is the mayor of portland and he hustles not because he has to but because he just wants to infuriate his father basically um so the movie starts with Mike uh, literally kind of at a crossroads with no idea what he's doing or where he's going. He's in kind of in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. And um, it starts off with him kind of, I suppose, musing on his situation. And he has one of his episodes and he, and he falls asleep. And he sort of, I suppose the movie then picks up in Seattle and then eventually Portland and what happens is he's picked up by a woman played by an, a woman. I'm trying to think of her, her name, but she's the, the mom in Twin Peaks. I can't think <laughs> of her. And she's That's so right, freaky yeah. in everything that she does. She's got the most amazing, severe kind of cheekbones and mad bug eyes. I love her, whatever her name is. I have to find out. But um, she brings him to her mansion where he meets other male hustlers. And um, when, you know, he's about to basically do the deed with her something about her uh causes him to drop off into a heavy slumber and that's how scott uh kind of intervenes i think i know what what makes him go off into a heavy slumber yes <laughs> and that's it's, it's his mother it's his mother obsession. yeah he's, he's got this whole obsession with i suppose trying to find her and trying to kind of come to terms with how he came to be i suppose as well um not to kind of try and spoil maybe too much of that, but uh, Scott has nothing better to do at the moment for the moment. So he decides to help Mike search for his long lost mother. Um, so they end up kind of on this road trip. So as you said, it, you know, it's a road movie where it's kind of circular. They kind of go around. They start off in one place, end up where they were kind of thing. Well, well, certainly Mike does. Um, Scott changes, you know, I suppose in it. Um, and then, you know, is, you know, is it this documentary? Because you have actual street hustlers in there talking about kind of... Yeah. What did you guys make of that part of it? Well, I mean, I thought just... Um, I thought... I'm, I'm always fascinated when... And I saw it most recently in Nomadland, where yes. you had people who were... Um, who, ha who had lived what they were talking about. And they were speaking to actors. And I think those parts feel like feel completely different from everything else in the mm. film not necessarily in a bad way i think it's just that the when somebody is talking about stuff that they've lived through as opposed to an actor trying to replicate it you can never do it an actor can never it doesn't matter how uh, talented the actor is and 
you got two fantastic performances in this film from uh, from Keanu Reeves and from River Phoenix. But the people who have lived this life, they just it's like the sound of a bell. It's the difference between the sound of a bell and the sound of a keyboard going. I'm going to press this button. It sounds like a bell. I get you. No, I do. And can I just, I love the fact that you said Keanu Reeves is fantastic in this movie because you guys love to rip the piss out of him and his acting style in every episode that we talk about him. So this is an example of Keanu Reeves actually being able to act, Um, just as an aside. But yeah, no, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. And, you know, it kind of brings me as well to another point, which again is kind of bigger uh, than than this movie. But, um, and we definitely could do a whole podcast about this as well. But, um, this idea of, you know, particularly at the time, you know, as we mentioned, you know, we have the, the two stars who are taking a risk. They're, they're going to play, you know, uh, not just gay characters, but hustlers as well. So that's a really bold move. But say, you know, for at the time that would have been, you know, it's not the done thing. Like, and it, I came across this in, a, in an interview with, a, with Keanu Reeves when he says, um, there was somebody asked him in the interview, well, is there any concern in your camp from your agent or manager that about playing a male prostitute would hurting your image kind of thing? And he says, hurt my image. Who am I, a politician? In other words, why would it like, you know? Mm. But what I kind of, um, if an actor say like Sean Penn for Milk or Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal and Brokeback Mountain, these guys are given Oscars, they're hailed for bravely taking on roles like this. Huge praise is heaped on them. That wasn't happening in 1991 right at the time uh because of everything that was going on also i kind of have this is where i'm like because i kind of have a bit of an issue with straight people playing gay people like there's a huge talent within the lgbtq plus community that could be used now i know at the time maybe not but when it comes to say movies like milk or or brokeback mountain it's kind of like why does it have to be these big hollywood names that are playing these parts do you know what i mean but again look that's probably a debate for another day i don't know yeah I would no say no i, I can see where you're coming that, from yeah absolutely and it's a, it's a it's a conversation we're having more and more uh this day and age but i i i, I remember being unsure about how i felt about that but then i remember reading vigo mortison was given an interview and he was directing a particular movie and there was um a role in one of his movies that was um a gay role and he cast um a, an actor uh, a straight actor and he was asked that very same question and he says well sure, i don't know that actor's personal life it's none of my business what their sexuality is Do you know so i mm. think maybe you don't even know <laughs> maybe uh, especially at the time a lot of actors hid sexuality as well because it yeah. would have affected their career so i i think that stuff like sexuality is much too of a personal thing to like you wouldn't if you went for a job interview uh, i know acting is quite different but if you went for a job interview and you, yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm going to stop you there. I, I think there is a difference between going for a job interview. Yeah, it depends no. on what the part is, right? Yeah, really. I know it's about representation. You know, I mean, if well, you yeah. just, if it's just, if it's, if it's somebody in a, you know, in a, in a, in a movie, and he's a banker and he happens to be gay, then yeah, absolutely, Grand. why yeah. not? But if it is something that is very, very much about the experience of being gay and mm. all that, and you know, I, I, uh, there's I problems. On, there's there problems. Are. Yeah. 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 It's problematic. Um, I feel it's, the, it's, n- I think nowadays it is. I mean, yeah. even, I think going, but we could talk about Milk and, and mm. Brokeback Mountain. These were important movies as well that 
people saw and people more people will see them if um if Sean Penn is playing yes, uh, Milk and if uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and um who's the Australian Heath Ledger Heath Ledger <laughs> um you know more people will go and see those movies because of it and that's important but if they were made today I think they they should be made with with actors who are who have who can uh identify with it. I mean mm. there's a whole thing about like oh here this I, is I've a opened a can of worms bar- I know. barrel of worms here you've <laughs> yeah, opened but can. isn't it isn't the movie itself you know it, Gus Van Sant's gay yeah. so it isn't it is his choice then who he decides to portray yeah but I mean I, then I no but I think then as well you're talking about this will get made because Keanu and River yeah. are in it and then as well there are no openly gay actors working in Hollywood at that time and probably not even today to get it made, you know? Well, I know just in terms of the background, like he was going to make this no matter what and he was going to use real hustlers if he couldn't kind of... Yes. Which would have made it a very different movie. Um, It would have been more like the bits we were talking about in the the cafe. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's kind of the, the main plot of it. So what did we think about it and what did we think about, I suppose, certain sequences? I mean, I don't know, do we want to talk about the end? It's kind of a big... Talking points. I feel yeah. though. I think we Let's probably have that. to. Yeah. Yeah. At to. the end, we'll talk about it at mm. the end. Spoilers okay. for the end. At the end, I feel like I've <laughs> spoken over you too much, Ross. So, you go no, ahead no. there. What did you think about it? Um. Yeah. So, for me, unsurprisingly, the first movie that flashed into my mind as soon as I was watching it was Midnight Cowboy. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of comparisons there. People living on the fringe of society. Um. In both cases, well, in in John Voight's case, they're both prostitutes. Um, so it just immediately drew comparisons to that and it just reminded me of how, how this movie was still kind of shocking at the time or seen as career suicide even after it was done you know, say 20 years previously and had been you know a major hit for, for John Voight and it doesn't often again he's not playing a prostitute but he's playing a kind of a con man in that role um, I, I was really bowled over by River Phoenix like I did think Keanu Reeves was, was really 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 good in this role as well but for me and for me, it was River Phoenix that really, really, really shown. Like he, he was only. It's hard to, hard to believe this, but he was only about twenty year, twenty one years old when he was filming this movie. Uh, and that stage, he had already received an Oscar nomination for best supporting actor for his work in Running on Empty from nineteen eighty eight. And he was only eighteen years old uh, then. But like I had seen him in, you know, Stand by Me, and I'd seen him in in uh you know as as uh, young indiana jones so quite big movies that way i knew he had a penchant for kind of more out there movies but i'd never really seen him as an adult acting in a movie like that so for me i you know it was a real it was a real shame because you got to see how such a layered mature performance from such a young person and you know as i said he was 21 here and he, he would die at a very young age at the age of 23 just two years later so i i suppose watching a performance like that is kind of bittersweet because you you see such potential and he's a guy who definitely inspired another generation of actors the likes of james franco leonardo dicaprio said they were all very inspired by by river phoenix's uh, performances um so you you see um such potential such promise uh, and you know obviously it's a tragedy you know cutting a, a life so short you know being only 23 um he had i think always been compared to james dean throughout his career um ever from, you know from a very young age but reportedly he died without ever seeing a james dean movie it could be 
like you mentioned earlier on about not wanting to read the book <laughs> to, <laughs> to maybe change or affect things and i suppose like things like the hair sports in this movie isn't really going to help to put those comparisons to bed but it is interesting two young actors who achieved so much so young but had that promise and the potential of so so much more um both dead at young ages phoenix at 23 james dean 24 but i i just i for me I, I liked a lot of the surrealist moments as well. Um, I thought some of the Shakespearean stuff was a, maybe a little bit clunky, if I'm being honest. Um, it was like when I first saw Romeo and Juliet by Baz Luhrmann, and I remember thinking, this is cool, retelling of Romeo and Juliet. And then they started talking like <laughs> like Shakespearean actors, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. He just <laughs> doesn't like Shakespeare. He's not cultured enough. That's no, what it yes, is. Yeah. I, I yeah. love Baz Luhrmann's fucking Romeo and Juliet. Come on. I love it. I, I think love that's it. Too, a, I think, in fairness, that's a different different thing. I yeah, would agree yeah. with you, Ross. I think you can see the seams here. You can see two different ideas that Gus mm. Van Sant had, where he went, I want to tell this story about Mikey. I want to tell this story about, about Scott. And they don't. And it's literally like whenever Bob comes in, it's like, we're all speaking Shakespeare now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but uh, I, I think, sorry, I probably phase over the, the, the River Phoenix thing as well. How, what did you, how did you guys feel about his performance? Oh God, yeah. Like, I mean, I had seen, I was trying to think of um, some of the ones that I'd seen as, as you were listing off there. Like, yeah, I would have seen Stand By Me as well. And I would have seen, there's a great movie actually, um, this thing called Love that he's in as well, that I, I would have seen that. And um, this was then kind of, so different like in terms of those movies but again he's kind of he has this kind of tendency to kind of focus on as you mentioned the darker kind of edgier tragic roles and there's nothing like everything about this character is so tragic and you just want him to find peace and kind of find love and just get things together and it just doesn't really work out for him and it's just kind of uh, you know he's just amazing in it he really is just amazing there's something just about the the look in his eyes that just conveys everything like he's just amazing and apparently and i think we're going to play it uh, shortly but apparently the um the scene around the campfire was his influence that he wrote in did you read this yeah no i heard that yeah mm. that uh gus van sant thought that he was writing lyrics on little bits of paper and him and Keanu Reeves basically went we're going to do it like this it's like yeah and it's like we're going to do it like this Gus and Gus was like okay <laughs> and it just so happened to be like the scene I think of the movie yeah but uh, and yeah. it sort of shows you know the two of them and how different they are because you know as, as you kind of um, mentioned Niall you know the fact that uh, Scott is this you know he's he's more mirrored to the to the character in Henry the Fourth prince yeah yeah he's the prince and he's kind of you know i think in that moment it really kind of shows their differences like you know and their privilege like so they have two sort of drastically different experiences yet they find themselves together which kind of is just strange you know like he should be in this luxurious uh you know lifestyle but here he is on the street but you know they Sort of, I don't they, think he wants that though, does yeah, he? Yeah, he mean, sort of doesn't know what he wants, doesn't he? No, yeah, yeah. I think that, he knows what he wants. He wants to be back in that, in that, in his own private Idaho. He wants to mm. be there with his mother back when he felt safe, mm. when he felt cared for, and he hasn't felt that since, you know. Interesting enough, as well, Keanu Reeves was saying as part of the research, they had hung out with like, street hustlers from mm. around the area, and he actually spotted these two pals. 
um who you know one was had a rough upbringing and seemingly had to kind of know what her choice whereas the other one was from a upper middle class family and was just doing it because you know it's what they wanted to do and he was saying it's so weird because he, he was actually talking about kids in toronto because he's natively from canada so he had this one kid who was from a really rich family and he's able to quote like all this great literature and he very well learned it and stuff like that but he just decided to hang out on the wrong side of the tracks i mean not that i i'm gonna say i was a bigger fan but i had followed maybe river's career a little bit closer like i remember seeing him of course in stand by me and then he played Harrison Ford's son in Mosquito Coast, oh. uh, which is based on the um, the Trudeau novel. And it's now been turned into a, a TV series uh, that you can see with, with uh, Justin Trudeau playing his, I think it's his uncle or maybe something like that. But uh, and, and then he, he made a lot of like he didn't go teen idol straight mm. away. This is the thing. Like he did a movie called Little Nikita, which is about the son of after seeing Black Widow re recently. It's about a, the son of uh, a couple. He finds out that his parents are actually Russian, Russian spies. And um, that was even before The Last Crusade. And then he was in a movie that we, we spoke about on our radio segment, uh, I Love You to Death, where um, he was uh, somebody who was in love with um, Tracy Ullman, who's yes. uh, Kevin Klein's pizza man. Uh, he, she was, he was one of the hitmen in that. Like he had a massively, like he could have done anything. Yeah. This is the mm. thing about it. And it is such a, like it's always a loss when, when a talented actor um, dies early. Um, and yeah, it certainly was with him. It really was. So do you guys have favourite kind of moments from the movie or are we all kind of probably unanimous well, in our favourite moment? I mean, I have I have a couple of questions before okay. maybe we get. So I, I think we've kind of answered this. Does the Shakespeare work? Mm. Do you think you guys? Ish. Ish, yeah. Ish. Ish. Yeah, I think so that's It's a fair. bit clunky at sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I yeah, think I mean, at the start, like when he's kind of you know, pondering and he's on the road and he's kind of, yeah. you know, maybe there. But then yeah. I don't think there's any Shakespeare in that bit. I think it's really when he, they get to Portland Bob and, and they meet yeah. Bob and every time Bob comes in, it's pure Shakespeare. Yeah. And every time he's not there, there's very little. Occasionally Keanu, because he is the Prince Hal character, will will have, he'll he'll say a line that is, but, if not exact Shakespeare, it's Bolderized yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. Bob in that and that thing reminded me a bit more of um, Fagin or something like that, and of Oliver Twist with his yes. army of pickpock yeah. well, army of pickpock in that case. But uh, this was... and it's <laughs> like he that act or that that uh, actor slash director, I should say, had worked with River Phoenix before a couple of years before in a movie called um, A Night with Jimmy Reardon, which was a kind of like a. a uh, Ferris Bueller kind of a thing. Oh. Um, now, I, it's years since I've seen it, but uh, it's not very good. No, but that would be kind of that idea of, of you know, him going, he could have gone this way. He could have been a teen heartthrob. Um, but maybe I should watch that again now because I thought Bob was okay. I would have liked to have seen maybe a, a, a bigger actor in that. Mm. No pun intended, but yeah. somebody that, well, you know... Yeah. 
apparently yeah. Dennis Hopper was uh, originally offered a role and I think he kind of Gus Van Sant said to him and he kind of laughed it off at the time and he was like no I'm serious and he just keeps laughing at it. and he asked him about it afterwards and he's still laughing about it so I don't think Dennis Hopper really <laughs> understood what was going on maybe. okay okay yeah. and a, I could see him in the that problem, role the problem though is I think that if you the more you make it about the relationship between Scott and Bob the less it's about the relationship mm. between Mike and Scott and that's mm. really what I think I would rather see this film be all about you know it, it really is just about that core relationship um what what do you think the narcolepsy is about well it's to do with his his trauma of his childhood the, like are we mentioning the secret that he kind of says um, kind of... maybe we can we can leave that i think we okay i don't well, think we need to yeah. give that away yeah there's a there's a big part of his life that is huge that i think anybody who discovers that would have some sort of breakdown and this is mm. what it is and obviously when it comes to you know when like i mean if you think of the moment so like say um the major kind of moment in front of other people uh was when he's brought to that mansion by the rich lady and you know she reminds That's him the, essentially one of the first time i think isn't yeah, it? You see it, yeah yeah um she reminds him of his mother essentially and um he collapses and and he can't obviously do the deed um other times he, he collapses in the, the the middle of the road when he's not sure where he's going and he you know it's kind of like the uh, the the really wrong place to to fall asleep is is obviously the middle of the road when you've got like no nothing uh, not really the, just the clothes on your back kind of thing and nothing else and also um, being a you know a, being a sex worker it's not you're already <laughs> you're already quite vulnerable you know yeah, exactly. having a situation yeah, where yeah. you conk yourself and out like, it, it happens all the way but what even about the idea of a protagonist and i think we can agree that this film is about him mm. I mean, as much as I think Keanu is great, and it's really about Mike's story. Yeah, I guess because we start with him, we end with him. And um, what about the idea of a protagonist who, at any moment, can knock himself out and not be party to what goes on then when he's when he's there? It just adds this amazing layer to him, because yeah. if he doesn't have that, not that he doesn't have not that he's kind of you know not going to have anything to for us to sympathize with but it's like it's just this whole other added element to him that makes him just so so fascinating that makes you want to just protect him and take him out of that world and nurture him and just you know that's kind of if, if he yeah. didn't have that he's not going to be as fascinating for us the viewer i don't think yeah and um, I'm going to take these last two out of out of order, right? I'm going to mm. go to the ending first because yeah. then I'm going to skip back to what I think is everybody's favourite scene in the yeah. film, maybe. Um, the ending. Do you, What do you think about the ending? Is the ending a hopeful ending or is it not? Oh, a... you see, I think the ending is like the ending of Inception where <laughs> did that thing fall or does it keep spinning? And... You're going to have fan theories, and there are many, <laughs> about this, you know. And I loved the ending. I loved that it's circular, kind of in a way that we, we he ends up where he starts. And you don't know whether that car and the people in it are good or bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I liked it too, because I think Gus Van Sant's original idea for the ending 
was um i won't spoil it but the person who picks him up is someone that we saw earlier in the movie that mm. um they went to visit oh. it in, in, in a trailer that in a trailer that was a oh original okay idea. right i thought um, I thought, I thought that was a say, fan theory, actually. I thought. No, no. I, well, I, I think I, I think I um, heard, I, I, I read that online. I could be, I could stand corrected, um, but I, I, I prefer that they didn't go that route because mm. it seems unrealistic. This whole film is about creating your own way, maybe, and not falling back on old ties. Um, it's so. weird. I mean, that what does that road mean? That's the other thing. That's yeah. just the road that he recognizes. The road to so nowhere. Much. The road to nowhere. The road he yeah. always seems to end end up back on. I thought you were going to say it was Udo Kier, which we didn't mention. And I thought he was fantastic in this film, I have to say. Oh, yeah. the guy. Uh, the German, the German the guy. The German. Hans yeah, or something. Yeah, Hans, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he turns up very early and then turns up in the scene in the in the middle. But my favourite scene with him is when he buys the motor motorcycle off them and he yeah. gets stopped yes. by the cops yeah. and he just loves this motorcycle you can tell by the way he's putting his hands on it and actually that brings me to another point as well i think the um uh, the sex scenes in this movie are filmed in such an unbelievably great way uh, mm. bar maybe the fellatio near the start mm. but the rest of them are, are filmed in a way where they're filmed in stock like it, it, they, they obviously did the, the Gus Van Sant, the director, would yell, kind of freeze frame and that, and it, 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 they'd be posing, um, kind of in the middle of in the middle of a sexual act, and they would just have it as a still frame with the camera focusing. Then they'll move it around and do it at a different position, yeah. and it looked like a series of paintings that brought yeah. you to the story yeah. of a sex scene. Which it, I just it's thought a, was very it's tasteful. a movie about graphic sex that doesn't have any graphic. Sex yes, it. <laughs> yeah. it really is. It really is, and that's what I. I because you know when you when you learn about what the subject matter of this movie is going into it and you do kind of expect oh is it going to be you know a bit too gritty that way but as you say it's handled really really well and I think that was key because you know at the time obviously you know as you mentioned as well Ross you know at the time you know it's 1990s you know very early 90s you know the AIDS epidemic is is rampant at the time you know gay people are seen as kind of the dregs of society at the time so to have scenes that are going to be gritty and you know not pleasant to look at was you know going to be problematic you had to make it nice-ish you know yeah and I think it's interesting that the the time you see that um that um what would you say that uh, technique used again is when Keanu is in Italy, when they're all in Italy yeah. and Keanu is, is having sex with his new girlfriend mm. and it's done exactly mm. the same way. And I think yeah. it just says, it says sex is sex. You know what I mean? Whether it's with mm. three people in a, <laughs> in a hotel room yeah. or in a beautiful, uh, uh, or, you know, or, uh, yeah. well, yeah, that's the other thing. I didn't think it, Italy looked great, did it? I mean, it's not a beautiful looking film, is it? No, but I actually liked the the where he kind of wakes up in Rome, um, in, mm. in, in oh, the yeah, street, yeah. and he's surrounded by Italian male hustlers. So yeah. it's it's not just something that's you know specific yeah. to Idaho or to Seattle or to anywhere in America. It's it's it's, it's everywhere really. Yeah, and he's in this world no matter where he ends up, as 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 you mm. say. Um, so. Will we talk about this last scene or do you have another question to add in? Matt? No, I mean, my, my other question was about this scene. And okay. I guess you, maybe you can set it up and then I'll kind of say what I thought about it. Well, this scene is crucial. And as, as you know, we, we mentioned um, there, that this was very much River Phoenix kind of and Keanu Reeves influence. They wanted to, to write this in. 
And from the moment that Mike kind of, it's a half whisper, like you barely hear what he says. Mm. I'd like to talk with you. I'd like to really talk with you. So he's going to open up to Scott about his true feelings, that it's more than just friendship, that he is completely and hopelessly in love with this guy. And in true Scott style, he just completely... I wouldn't want to say brush him off. He doesn't brush him off, I suppose. He does kind of embrace him in a hug, but he's just like, man, you know, I I, I don't love men unless they pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is... This is, I think, where you see that Scott is the son of a politician yeah. and has a political career ahead of him because he is... Like, he talks around it. Now, I, I don't think he necessarily lies to him. No. I, you know, I, I think he tells him the truth, but he tells him the truth in a way that, you know, that at the end he can hug him and go, that's great now, and you sleep over here. But, I mean, it is such a... And this is the thing about this film. It's so... It rips your heart out. It yeah. really does. And um, it it you've got to you've gotta see this despair. If you've ever spoken... And you've ever kind of said to yourself, I'm going to tell this person how I feel about them. And you've spoken to them that honestly. And then you've had a reply like this. You can just feel for Mike, you know, mm. and just go. He just wants he wants to be loved and he's not getting it from anyone that he wants it from, mm. you know. And I think that's down to Gus Van Sant down to River Phoenix and down to Keanu Reeves. We can never again say that Keanu can't <laughs> yes. after seeing this film. Yeah. So let's have a taster of that scene. I don't know, whatever. What? What do I mean to you? What do you mean to me? Mike, you're my best friend. I know, man, I know I'm not, I know I'm your friend. We're good friends, and it's good to be, you know, good friends. That's a good thing. So? So I just... That's okay. We can be friends. I only have sex with a guy for money. Yeah, I know. Two guys can't love each other. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, for me, I could love someone even if I, you know, wasn't paid for it. I love you, and you don't pay me. I often wonder as well, or like. I often wonder. I watch. I wondered since watching that particular scene. That scene stuck out to me um, so much in the movie. And I wondered if they had taken that tone with the rest of the movie, maybe made a more grounded movie, got rid of the surrealist elements, got rid of the Shakespearean elements, and had just a kind of a grounded drama about them two and their relationship. Would it have been a more interesting? What would have been a more compelling movie? Oh God! I, think I you mean, definitely that, have to have the surrealist elements in there. Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I think you could make that kind of film today, mm. but I don't think you could have then because I mm. think from all from all that I've read about it, that the the Shakespearean stuff, the surrealist stuff, 
is what made it a success overseas, not in America. Mm. And now it's become recognized as one of the a, a, a great work of cinema, I guess. Um, so you could maybe do it again. You couldn't do it with, with River and Keanu, but you could maybe tell that story, yeah. Mm. So we hope that you enjoyed our first Spotlight Real Take episode. And if you have a movie that you would like us to shine a spotlight on, please do get in touch with us on our social media channels or on our email, therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, film fans, bye. Goodbye, we'll see you at the movies. Bye. You have been listening to The Real Take, presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leahy and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies.